With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. In this conversation, I interview Morgan McKenney, the COO, sorry, CEO at Providence Blockchain Foundation. We talked about her role at Providence, what she's doing, what the organization is responsible for, uh, the history of the organization, how they get funding, uh, where she sort of sees crypto emerging in the next few years. Her background is fascinating, having been at City, Citibank, and having been in the traditional incumbent payment space for many years, she has a unique perspective on how crypto can integrate into the existing payment rails, which I appreciated hearing. Uh, Morgan has thought so much about payments. You can tell when she talks, she is articulate, clear-minded. She often has memes and different concepts for understanding complex ideas, uh, a real joy to listen to her speak. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Morgan. If you do, please share the conversation with a friend or on social media. Give us a thumbs up if you're on YouTube, a comment, and we really appreciate it. Here is Morgan McKinney. All right, Morgan, we're officially live. And uh, I'm excited to chat with you. I, I love what you're working on. Um, I, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago in pre-show, like Recovering Banker, but it seems to me like uh, Provenance Blockchain Foundation, way more interesting, smaller dynamic in high-octane space like crypto. Uh, I, first thing I'm curious to ask you about is like, how do you compare the uh, maybe culture of where you are now versus big banking, like m- more than just the g- generalities. Is there specifics around like how people communicate, the effectiveness, the pros and cons of either one? I'm curious because not too many people I meet are on have have lived both worlds. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. So thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I've been. I started this role March first, and I'd say there's a lot higher highs, lower lows, way more often than life in corporate land. I would say for sure. Um, one, obviously, using a whole bunch of tools. Right, everybody uses Slack, and uh, you know we support our community through Discord. Uh, we're obviously on Twitter, so. Um, we're more actively using a ton of tech tools, right? As a decentralized, we're obviously quite decentralized org as well, supporting provenance blockchain uh, with validators all over the world, et cetera. I think um, decision-making is a lot faster um, and there's more bias to action, I would say, in terms of getting something out there 70% and then working to improve it. Obviously, being at a highly regulated bank, um, you need to do everything to the to the button and to a mm. ti- finely tied bow, having crossed all the I's and T's, understandably. Um, 
And City was a systemically important institution, right? Moving uh, trillions of dollars of its customers' funds daily. So, um, so yeah, I think there's a, a, a much more agile. Uh, you know, we pivot more often for sure. And um, yeah, we're obviously a younger company. So uh, City is a 200-year-old brand um, around mm. the world uh, with outposts in, in over 100 markets. So uh, it's, a, it's a different digital world, I would say, compared to um, yeah, a highly regulated bank. But our focus at Providence Foundation is supporting institutional and regulated finance. So we're trying to continuously raise the bar in a public blockchain context to bring resiliency, reliability, things that institutions uh, clearly expect and need to operate core parts of their business on chain. So Mm. um, we're trying, you know, just I'm a digital girl and a digital innovation girl. So just as, you know, I would say there's, there's a computer for that when there's analog work around uh, in decentralized contexts, there's a DAP for that, right? So you can create capabilities like privacy or operational governance in a DeFi setting um, with different types of tools, but you're still trying to achieve similar outcomes. Mm-hmm. And th- organizationally, the foundation is completely separate from the, the develop. I imagine there's the the decentralized blockchain, which no one owns yep. or everyone owns, and I yep. look at it. There's the foundation, which is the accumulated funds that are used to distribute in various ways with the goal of growing the overall like market cap or engagement usage of the blockchain. And then I would imagine there's like a development company that was initially uh, funded that that kind of kickstarted things. Is that the the structure of things or how? Yeah, absolutely. We're a decentralized public blockchain. Our code is open source. We're part of the Cosmos ecosystem. We're on the Cosmos SDK. Our, you know, all of our documentation is available and our online, et cetera, on GitHub. Um, so I think the foundation is focused on catalyzing adoption of provenance blockchain. So supporting users and helping them adopt the chain uh, and supporting developers in terms of building uh, value-added dApps on chain. So think of our role is really to help support and catalyze sustainable growth of provenance blockchain. Um, Figure originally created provenance blockchain and iterated it to what it is today. They're a power user. So figure is a fintech in the consumer lending space. So they do mortgages. They've done mortgages. They have a big HELOC business that runs on provenance. They have private market security. So if you're a CEO of a, a young company, and I know a lot of your audience is in startup land, um, those founders can put their cap table on figure equity solutions and issue um, equity in the company and even offer secondary trading, as an example. And we have private funds on provenance uh, and payments as well. So figure has de-risked the blockchain and built a series of large operating businesses um, to basically prove the business and tech value of blockchain because Mike Cagney, who founded figure along with Juno, oh, his wife, knew that banks wouldn't be able to be the first adopters, right, of a public blockchain. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, so in the foundation's role, I'm separate. Uh, so I report to the board of Provenance Foundation and, and we're trying to grow this ecosystem uh, beyond figure. And we have obviously a lot of financial institutions that have already participated and our goal is to help grow that, sustainably mm. grow it. And uh, growing the number of organizations that participate, would that be to say companies that are building apps or dApps on top of uh, foundation, uh, on top of not figure, but on top of provenance. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we're first goal number one, two, three, four, five is grow users who harness provenance blockchain for business value. So figure, as you know, power user number one, Apollo has bought hash, um, which is our utility token on chain used to pay all fees as well as um, support governance. And you know, for instance, they are a large asset manager, alternative asset manager, 600 billion plus, and they launch funds. And so creating a digital feeder to issue a new fund so that you can subscribe slash invest in a fund from Apollo and do that on blockchain, harnessing all the value that blockchain creates is an example. So Apollo is a non-bank financial institutions. We have banks that are participating in the USDF consortium, which is supporting bank-minted tokenized deposits. So think of this as a digital dollar represented by money that you hold at one of the USDF consortium banks and use that for 365, 24 by 7 payments, use that to buy a digital asset on chain, etc. So that's some of the bank participation. And um, obviously, we have a range of validators that are supporting um, consensus on chain. Some of those are financial institutions like a Franklin Templeton as an example. Um, so yes, so we're working with banks and non-bank financial institutions, what I call OG fintech. So fintechs that have been around for a while, but know that they can stop change their business by putting uh, important pieces of it on chain and then new G fintechs. So fintechs that are started by former bankers that know where the bodies are buried, you know, meaning where are some of the challenges in existing financial infrastructure and no blockchain is the better way. So they're starting up companies and building on provenance. So in different parts of financial services ecosystem. So those are all participants that we're targeting to use provenance for business value. So you know, make it a lot cheaper, instant gratification for their customers, a lot more transparency, less reconciliation, the ability to fractionalize assets. So, you know, because it's so much easier to manage the asset on chain, you can chop it up so you can make it uh, easier to invest in certain types of vehicles uh, that previously were too expensive to offer at a smaller scale to smaller investors. Um, and then to your po- question, yes, we're then focusing on developers that are creating value-added dApps that make that asset lifecycle, that issuing a financial asset and then financing that asset, managing it, trading it, securitizing it, all these things that are in the factory of finance that are, um, you know, operate through highly intermediated channels today that add a lot of cost can now be on blockchain. And we need developers to help that asset journey work. So for instance, privacy death, right? We are a public chain. So we need folks that can help shield privacy of actions of larger institutions, as an example, compliance dApps that will scan the network for sanctioned addresses, as an example, or customer next best action dApps. So intelligence layers at the customer level, you know, if I buy a specific clean energy asset on chain, show me other any other clean energy assets as they come onto the marketplace, as an example. So yes, we absolutely need to attract developers that build out the ability for this asset lifecycle to happen very seamlessly and fluidly on chain. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I have some questions about that, but I want to ask you, where are things in terms of scale now, like uh, money raised or revenue or market cap? How do you sort of think about scaling progress? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, hash, as I mentioned, is our utility token. It's available on OKCoin. The market cap based on the price of OKCoin would be somewhere just under $4 billion. As an example, $3.5 billion. We have $100 billion outstanding of hash. 
Um, again, it's a utility token to facilitate activity on chain. So we have gas fees, which we intentionally keep low to prevent zero cost attacks. But we have message based fees that you pay in hash. We have smart contract fees that our developers charge for their smart contracts and they get a portion. So it's like the Apple App Store model where developers can monetize their dApps, that privacy dApp I talked about. And then the whole idea is to keep the total cost for operating on chain, meaning all the hash fees one would pay a lot cheaper than what you pay in the real world with financial infrastructure today. So give back a big part of those fees to the user who puts their business on chain. Um, so it's, it's more cost efficient for them. Um, in terms of users, again, I have 50 financial institutions participating, meaning they're either a validator, they've bought assets on chain, they've sold assets, they have participated in securitization, they have their cap table, they've issued equity on, you know, as a private company, they've bought a private fund. Um, that's around 11 billion. If you look at the asset life cycle of, of what's happened and transacted on chain, we're over a million transactions um, today on provenance. And really focused again on growing adoption through various use cases, financial assets, real assets on chain for material business value. Real assets on chain for material business value. What are the, what's the, when you think of assets, uh, mm -hmm. what, what do you think of? Are you thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. What comes to mind? So first, a big space is lending assets, right? Lending is a big part of financial services. Banks lend money, other financial institutions lend money. So for instance, you can put a mortgage on chain um, and you can do that not only technically, but also with the appropriate legal protections. So mortgages today are actually, there's a digital version today off blockchain called an e-note. It's about 10% of all mortgages. So you can, and that means it's legally protected, the ownership and control. Whoever controls the e-note controls the asset. So um, the e-note can be issued digitally, natively on chain. And then you can continue to run down the line of those asset activities. So financing, which means selling it off to another lender, getting off balance sheet, um, servicing. So that means making sure somebody's paying on time, right? The lender's paying on time, securitizing, which means offload it into the capital markets to transfer the risk. So what I mean is like a home equity line of credit, put it on chain. Mm -hmm. And then if you, it's, if it's born digitally on chain, a whole bunch of stuff down that that assembly line of the new factory of finance can happen more easily. So um, for mortgages, you don't have to keep opening the credit file. You know, it's Morgan McKenney, it's $500,000, here was the credit score. And so if you are going to securitize that loan, meaning I'm gonna, I'm, a, I'm gonna buy a whole bunch of loans, you know, for a bunch of Morgans, I can easily see the repayment status today. I don't have to comb through a bunch of docs and I can see the profile, the FICO scores, the zip codes, et cetera, so that you don't have to ship a whole bunch of documents to assess if I want to buy a bundle of loans, as an example. It fully digitizes that asset and all the downstream activities that that asset undertakes. And so home equity lines of credit, that's really popular right now, right? People have a low interest rate, their house price has gone up, they want money to help, you know, they want to monetize some of that. And so HELOCs in two days in a digital wow process, instead of, you know, 30 days in an ultra painful process uh, is a big benefit, right? And that's blockchain plus some digital componentry, right? Beyond blockchain that helps make that a wow process. So things like, again, private funds. So any alternative asset that's not traded publicly. Blockchain is a killer app for private assets because private assets are not price discoverable, typically. Really, it's hard. They're not tradable. They're not exchangeable. Um, they're not 
collateralizable in general. So you, if you can put private assets on chain, you, you can create the ability to transfer it. Right now, you know, the ownership is in a lawyer's cupboard kind of thing, right? Who owns it, okay. yeah. et cetera. So private assets. So we're targeting things where, you know, blockchain is not a plug and play technology yet. It will be, right? But it's, it's hard to implement because there's business process reengineering and it's a new way of doing finance. It's the opposite of intermediated finance. It's, it's decentralized and you and I can transact today, right now. Like it can be midnight, you, as long as you have the money and I have the asset, we can bilaterally transact and we do not have to know each other from Adam, you know, as nice as you are. So, you know, the, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very disruptive to how things are done today. So you need to pick use cases where it really is the morphine shot. It makes the pain go away. It makes it so much better. So e-liquid, non-price discoverable, financial processes that take way too long and cost too much are great places to start. So that's Mm -hmm. why some of the lending, some of the private assets have been some of where Figure first started its use cases. And then payments, of course, you know, in the US, I'm a global payments girl. US, we really don't have a, a ubiquitous, cheap way to move digital money, particularly, except, you know, that, you know, you have to do it over the credit card rails. And that's expensive, ultimately, for merchants to accept. And so why can't we always have an always on payment system that is very, 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 very cheap for all users and merchants to accept and ubiquitous. And that can happen on blockchain. Yeah. 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 And is a wow process j- just like it sounds like it's uh, some yeah, like six clicks, impressive. you know, pulling in data and information yeah. about you. Um, I'd call them, you know, growth hacks, like things that you can do better that, that other, uh, competitors in HELOC space are doing the old way, you know, to check certain things, et cetera. And can you create a digital check, that kind of thing. So yes, it's blockchain plus, and then you get that digital wow. Is, yeah. is that t- like that specific application uh, of using your, your mortgage and doing mm-hmm. your reverse line of credit? Is that uh, taking off? Like, is that kind of, yeah. people understand it, they use it, they get it. There's plenty of capital in the market and it's flowing. Totally. So yeah, and Figure's been really shepherding the way on this. HELOC, their HELOC origination is large. They've just announced partners that are doing white label versions of this HELOC solution, very large in the market, uh, which shows you if, if you're white labeling a solution, it means that it's, it is materially better than what's out there. And um, it's a great product for the market environment right now, right? Where people have, they've already gotten low interest rate market, uh, mortgages. They don't want to refinance at a higher rate, obviously. <laughs> Um, they wouldn't do that, but they can monetize the growth in their house and use that money for things that are very important as well. So yes, that is taking off, I would say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's Obviously just one DeFi. example. Yeah. Yeah. And, and other, what do you think other, if you think of them like, uh, they're almost like, like individual, they're, they're applications, I guess, but they're really kind of specific assets, as you mentioned. Exactly. Think about it. You know, we are crowdsourcing and collaboratively building the new factory of finance. So I am calling this finance's 1998 moment. Whenever you think the internet really came to public consciousness, but we didn't know how big it would be. Um, for the first time ever, we can basically foundationally change the infrastructure of finance, right? All the innovation to date has really been at the consumer app layer. This is where fintechs have thrived and created much better experiences for consumers, but that all rides on existing rails mainly, right? So it's riding on bank rails, it's riding on plugins to existing systems, clearing systems. Um, and so now for the first time, you can create the new, the next gen digital 
factory of finance. That is, think of it as an assembly line, an asset goes through its issuance and then all of its financial processes that create products for businesses and consumers. And if it's digitized fully on chain, it's transparent, the general ledger is sitting in the middle, right, rather than across all the people. And ultimately, I'm calling it the self-checkout line of finance. It means you, today, you have to walk into a bank's proverbial door and ask them to do something with your assets, right? Blockchain allows you to do anything you want with your assets. You control the activity. So it's like you can deal on the street, right, with your assets rather than having to go into a, a door, a kind of a door that is, you know, has to do it on your behalf, basically. And that is a big part. Intermediation is a huge part of how financial services has worked and blockchain disrupts intermediation. And to the consumer business, it gives you a lot of liberty to do things that you want with your assets. Now, of course, that creates risks. And you, there's lots of ways you'd want to engage banks and financial advisors to tell you what to do with those assets. So banks' role will evolve, right? They'll hold your keys. They'll advise you and showcase uh, different financial assets that you might be interested in, etc. But, um, you know, you really, with blockchain, can now control your own assets, hmm. what you do with them. Last 10 years, over $100 billion worth of crypto has been lost or stolen, specifically because of poor key management, scams, and hackers. Forget not your keys, not your crypto. Software and hardware wallets have both the same vulnerability, that a single private key can be lost, hacked, or simply just misplaced. My new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total game changer, bringing wallet security to a whole new level. You have to check out Zengo, an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which has, just until now, only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. So Zengo, most secure Web3 wallet, is the best place to keep your crypto, NFTs, and assets secured. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery system, and it's also just beautiful. Get started at Zengo.com and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's Zengo.com, code ATC for $20 back on your purchase of $200 or more. Yeah, I, I'm curious to ask you this. So as this happens, which is like a, a total um, restructuring of the payments landscape, I would imagine this is not, ex this is not, initially exciting for your coworkers at Citibank, right? Because in many ways, they're deeply entrenched in the, the structure that they've built. And it's not as easy as it would be for a new company to start off, they would have to like, change what they currently have. And there's always this um, dilemma between, the, you know, the elephant can dance mentality, which is like, how do you make this transition? Do you see a, or have you seen a resistance from these banks, um, either in their lobbying arms for regulation or, or simply making it more difficult? Because I imagine regulatory change is, is critical to allowing some ideas to occur. And, uh, and, and, the, and if we have too much regulation, well, that benefits the existing banks because then you, you slow down new growth. Is that, how, how do you give us like a score, like a health score of regulatory innovation here versus? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons why I took this job is it's trying to help support the existing financial ecosystem, which is banks to evolve. So I'm not trying to create another planet where, you know, finance is done over here. No, we 
to be really successful, we have to draw in banks and other large financial institutions to harness this technology because they have the customers, they have the trust, they have, um, banks care about protecting your money, right? Whereas a lot of tech companies think tech first, protection second kind of thing. So this is why, again, we have to harness the strengths of a range of participants and why you need a collaboration PhD, right? To drive innovation. But from my perspective, our target clients are banks and non-bank financial institutions and then fintechs, right, that are growing in the space or already big. And so I think that's the way you're going to get real mainstream adoption. I'm calling us FW3S, so Financial Web 3 Services. We're the new infrastructure layer enabling finance to be done better. Um, Now, it is a challenge because this is disrupting the way a lot of banks make a lot of money. That's true. But I always argue from the customer relevance angle. That was always my role at Citi helping lead the brand for customer relevance. And that's my role here too. So meaning we really, this is, I'm doing this job because it's better. Blockchain, using digital money, digital assets and blockchain creates better outcomes, more instantaneous gratification, more status of, you know, transparency of status. You're not chasing where things are because you can see them. You know, you are um, ability to ability to lower the cost to serve will broaden access. Banks would love to, to broaden who they serve. They can't because they have a high cost structure for a lot of reasons. So I think, um, you know, we need to partner with the coalition of the willing and able, you know, the folks that are most advanced in their blockchain thinking. Most banks have set up digital asset groups. Um, They've been looking at the space for a long time. They're focused on how it will impact their customers successfully. So, you know, I think it's, we're trying to help light the way for this new way of doing finance. Um, And to do that successfully, we absolutely need to partner with folks that are doing the business today. Hmm. And as well as crypto partners, sorry? I was going to ask you, is is the basic idea that these companies, um, once they get it, they they both have a budget. So they're, you know, they're existing companies, they can reallocate resources to like hiring developers, building out new tools, albeit you know, they'd have to change their business model, accept the reality that change is happening. Yeah. Uh, they also have the greatest incentive to, to do this because they, once they get it, they see, okay, we need to adapt. And I would imagine any savvy business owner sees that. Are there certain types of um, businesses that, w- like, how do you, what are the attributes of the type of banking yeah. player or fintech that is more or less likely to to do this i would imagine if you're a chase bank you're probably you're like hey i'm pretty good for a long time is it more like the edge cases like tier three banks or like well you know fuck it might as well throw a last dollar at this and see if we can is that the attitude or how how do what are you seeing that's a great question mike i think a few comments one i go back to coalition of willing and able so meaning if i have to share the merits of blockchain at length ad nauseum and you know persuade a very um cynical audience that's not my best customer right right? so the the willing means they they get the power of blockchain second is able so they've you know they have resources to your point they've had folks dedicated in the space they're serious about intent they're hiring up the groups etc um and then we're gonna you know we're working on a multi-pronged strategy like banks because of regulatory lack of regulatory clarity, I'd say banks are highly constrained in what they can do right now in crypto land, right? And so that needs regulation clarity to help allow banks to participate. Because a lot of the regulation has been focused on non-banks, like how how do we kind of bring them in the fold? But also banks need 
to know how they can participate thoughtfully, because I think they're keen to. Non-bank financial institutions have less restrictions, right, than, than a bank. So, you know, Apollo is a great example, and it needs to be CEO on down. So really, there's a lot of senior support. Um, and then we work different verticals. Fintechs can move faster. They know how to, you know, use tech. That's sort of part of their DNA. They're customer focused, again, all part of their DNA. So they can move faster. A lot of them are, are new companies and are getting well-funded, right? Given all the money coming into Web3 in general. And they have serious street cred in terms of their financial institutional knowledge. Um, and then enterprise use cases. I think we're putting that in too, meaning we're focused on being industrial grade and indis- institutional grade. And so... Enterprise use cases um, could add a neat flavor. Like we're partnering with ZoroSign, who is the DocuSign of blockchain. They have some non-financial use cases, but they're a partner. They've built on provenance and they're going to be launching a new UI UX uh, August 16th. So watch the space. So that's an example where ZoroSign as a developer has a DocuSign capability on chain that provides a lot of security of an authenticity of somebody signing. Um, and that can be used more broadly than financial services only use cases. So that's another one too that opens up use case. So yeah, we're you, we got to work many avenues because the pace of adoption for each client segment will be different, both due to their regulations and then their sort of ability to adopt. Gotcha. And is this the kind of thing that you're primarily thinking about as you lead the foundation? And, and the just the, the foundation is kind of a, a new term in crypto. It's how, how does the foundation get its money? And then who, how, who does what in the foundation? Like, yeah, so uh, we have our balance sheet is primarily hash. So as a as a gift from figure, so we and it's in our tokenomics paper, um, own roughly 6% of the hash outstanding. And that's my balance sheet, which is great. Um, and then, you know, we have some cash. So the good news is I don't have to raise money right now. <laughs> so that's good to fund the operations. Um and that's important. And so hash grants for long-term partnership to, to build and participate and support the community and the ecosystem is, is another lever we have to encourage participation, again, on a long-term basis and using the hash, right, to perform activities on chain. So that's an important part of the foundation's lever. Thinking about tokenomics, how do we propose things for governance around again, to scalably and sustainably grow. So what validators earn, what the stakers earn, right? We have roughly 9 billion of our 100 billion hash is staked today to provide security for the network. So, you know, in a decentralized system, you do need to really think about the shared incentives for success across all participants, right? Um, And so the foundation over time, as we ramp up fees, uh, will for their ongoing budget, will have a, a portion of the community fee, basically. Um, okay. So to help support the ongoing operations. Yeah. And th- the portion of the ongoing, the fees will be t- put into the foundation. Is the foundation a thing that will grow, is trying to grow, is trying to shrink in some way? Or h- how do you view like, because I know the trajectory oftentimes of uh, these projects is you'll start a private company, like an LLC or C Corp, use that to raise money to then create the chain and then have the foundation effectively be a portion of funds that are allocated to like reinvesting in the in the protocol in the community and then disintegrate the the old uh, LLC that was initially used. It's almost like a, a seed that then yeah. plants and then you you get rid of the other one. Is that the trajectory or 
Um, the trajectory is is small and mighty to again catalyze the growth of of an adoption of provenance by users and developers, and then create hash access for participation on chain. Right. So, you know, right now the ways you can get hash are on OKCoin, which has limited liquidity today, and DLOB, which is a decentralized exchange. So over time, we need to make it easier for people to access hash to participate on chain. So that's sort of the third pillar after growing users and growing developers. Um, the foundation, I think, well, we're currently a not-for-profit, um, but not tax-exempt status currently in the U.S. Um, I think I would think of us as small but mighty catalyst participants in the community to help grow successfully um, the chain. So, because we are in the earlier days, right? I'm the first CEO that they've had, even though. Um, Figure has been hard at work building provenance originally for the last four years. So it's been, you know, it's sort of the sign on the door has been hard at work. So building and it, it became a public chain on, on Cosmos SDK May of last year um, from a permissioned chain prior. So kind of in its current guise, it's, it's a year old, but had already been, you know, in the works for o- almost four years now. So uh, so there's a lot of expertise that has been built up in terms of the evolution and Providence was really built specifically for financial services. That's all we do. Mm. We're focused on that um, because, you know, we have, we're proof of stake, which means we have high throughput for financial transactions, which is important. Um, Providence has data control, so no personally identifiable information is on-chain. It's kept off-chain, which is important, again, given the, na- the sensitive nature of financial transactions. Uh, and we have this fee monetization sophistication that encourages developers to build so that they can monetize. So it's the fees aren't, quote, only gas fees. Gas fees are low. There's other types of fees. Again, that have different, that go back to the community and the developers can obviously get a big part of that smart contract fee. They set it and they get back a lot of it. Uh, and the rest goes back into the community to support everybody participating, right, who are running the chain, validators and stakers. So, um, and, you know, there's some neat things that some of the the foundations engineers are doing, like creating what's called APE, uh, Active and Participation Engagement Awards to help encourage participation on chain. So I'd say there's a lot of neat things going on to catalyze protocol development that, again, makes it quite differentiated for financial services. Mm. And do you feel like it's clear how you spend your days? I mean, what you just described to me is like so many things at once. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, right. I think, um, you know, we're, we're focused. It's a great question. Yes. I have, this is a jack of many, many trades, uh, which is great. And agility, uh, leveraging my agility and my complex problem solving. Like this is a complex problem, but there's so many assets. I feel like it's a Rubik's cube. So many assets, um, to bear in the ecosystem to, to really, make this very, very big mission come to life successfully. I wouldn't have taken this role if I didn't think um, Providence could help lead the community into the future of how finance gets done. Um, But yeah, I think I've been focused on growing adoption, growing developer ecosystem and growing hash liquidity for participation. And in there, branding is big, branding and messaging. You know, Providence is a top 20 token project, you know, probably one of the ones you've never heard of, right? One of the very few folks have never. So getting our message out to our institutional audience and developers that can build for them is really important, as well as institutional holders of hash 
and retail holders that can put it to good use. So I think uh, branding, talent, so getting the front end of adoption. Uh, so yes, we've hired a head of um, business development slash you know, getting usage and adoption. We've hired a head of onboarding and adoption, which is exciting, right? We can't send a big financial institution to the support channel and Discord, right? We, this mm-hmm. needs white white kit glove institutional support to help adoption. Um, hired a head of developer communities uh, and we're working on hiring a CMO. So all of these are helping to broaden uh, and catalyze adoption and support using the chain. So that's, I've been busy on the talent side, bringing, attracting talent into the block, Providence blockchain ecosystem lately. Um, and then these platform enhancements continue. Interesting. And so would the, would the institutions, would these financial institutions be generally uh, the white glove services to show them which dApps that they would be most interested in using and helping them get set up? Or is it more like, hey, you should go build something uh, on your own for your own system? I imagine it's the former, but yeah, it's both. So this is, like I said, it's not like a plug and play thing. It's not a vitamin on the shelf. You take one a day and, you know, you hope your hair is a little bit shinier. This is, this thing needs really like, so if you're going to put an infrastructure fund on a blockchain, what does that look like? Like, what does it, mm. you know, where do you create the assets? How do you create them? What can you do with them? How do you show the valuation of them, right? So you kind of have to walk through the business objective and there's sort of this technical solutioning for each asset because we're creating these new factory assembly lines, right? So for a HELOC, what does it look like? Figure fortunately has thought about that. For infrastructure asset, what does it look like? For receivables asset, what does that look like? Um, for factoring, so basically helping, you know, you have an invoice and somebody wants to get paid sooner than the invoice is owed, right? Me as the creator, I'm a YouTube content creator. And so how do I get paid? I'm willing to accept 90 cents on the dollar just to get the money now instead of 60 days. So like, how do you keep that? How do you put that on a blockchain? What does it look like? What's the digital experience and what parts of blockchain are you using? So it needs kind of this neat, technical solution. So I think there's going to be these new chassis we create for different, for natural carbon offsets. Like what does that blockchain business flow look like, right? Where do the buyers come in? What does it look like for them? How do you, you know, show the data that's, that's providing the validation Oracle that this is actually carbon offset and it's been validated by somebody, you know, that, that kind of thing. So we're creating these new factory chassis, if mm-hmm. that's a word, maybe I'm mixing mm-hmm. metaphors, but um, so a lot of it is, is sort of business process flow solutioning, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like the way you describe it. Uh, it's just chassis, which I hadn't really thought of in that way. Um, but it really is because you need something uh, of a solid form to push out there. Like to your point about large banks are not going to hop in a discord channel. And I think it's unrealistic to expect them to change how they interact with other companies, especially when they probably are already thrown off by the concept of blockchain, but then to put them in, like throw them into discord channel in many ways, I I, I talked to a lot of people, their attitude is like, Hey, they're just, the old banks are going to do what they're going to do. And we just got to go build the future. And I think there's a lot of credibility to that. There's the one thing that has to deteriorate is the old way of doing things. And so the question is, to what extent will the organizations adapt to the new way? Ho- hopefully, I mean, there's also a scenario where like we get into regulatory capture and lobbying and like we hit a stagnation point in society and everyone 
except for the owners of these companies lose, <laughs> which would be, I think, the biggest tragedy. Um, yeah, does that resonate with you? Do I, it looks like you want to say something. No, definitely. I think um, part of this is, uh, yeah, again, most a lot of the money is sitting, obviously, in the old system. And so how do you... So for instance, we're creating a GUI, right? So kind of a front end. So you don't have to plug into APIs. There's going to be a lot of adoptions. Make it easy to adopt. To your point, banks you know, might not want to go over here to do that, or it might be too hard to plug in over there. So how do you make the capability as easily accessible as possible for different types of users? So we've just even done a, a, what we call an asset manager GUI. So you can issue, you can mint the, the token, right? The financial asset. And then you can basically value it. You can, you can group it, right? You can group several, right? Like in the securitization, you can trade it. You can see it, you know, it's price value. You can put in a bid and order kind of thing. So I think a lot will depend on, yeah, the business needs and where the pain are for different types of assets. But yes, we need to have provide adoption sort of hacks, if you will, right? Make it easy to adopt because it is, we don't want people to have to go into the blockchain like protocol layer. So we're developing, we're augmenting our suite of APIs. We're developing a new developer portal that goes to the business problem. What's your business problem as a developer, right? You're trying to create a marketplace. You're trying to mint a financial asset. You're trying to help trading or securitizing, et cetera. So focus the developer portal to help, you know, rather than kind of, oh, as a developer, you have to open up the chest of API docs and like go to page 23 over here. And then you got to go to this handbook over here, you know, so really regear our developer portal. So that documentation makes it easier to build too. So, and yeah, I'm hopeful on the regulatory front to your comments. I mean, I'm hoping that we have very thoughtful regulation. I'm, I'm an optimist at heart. And I think that will provide a lot more clarity for banks to participate. And USDF consortium just responded to the Treasury. The Treasury uh, did a request for a proposal on digital assets, and banks should be front and center of minting digital dollars because they have the balance yeah. sheet, they have the regulation, they have you know all FDIC insurance, right? And so, you know, I think a lot of the regulation keeps focusing on the non-banks, which is important, but also how do you enable the banks to participate? So I think clarity would help. Um, everyone participate with more kind of guardrails because this is new tech. It is new ways of doing things. And we do need to retain customer protection. People, sort of humans, if you have a bank wallet, you have a PayPal wallet, and you have a centralized exchange crypto wallet, you kind of mentally put them all in the same bucket, maybe of risk, or I think that's possible, right? right, For people. But no, you have different risks with each type of wallet, right? So I think customer education, um, customer protection, and an awareness of risks is really important because um, these are creating, these technologies are creating new risks as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And the reality is many people learn from, you know, losses, crashes, yeah. like what happened with Celsius. It seems yeah. like that, that overall, that's regardless of what you tell people, people losing, no, there's nothing more powerful of a, a lesson than, Hey, I lost money on this exchange or on this, you know, protocol or something like ultimately that is what, uh, teaches people. And the, the restraint we have to have as a society is like, okay, what's the non-reactionary regulatory policy, if any, to put in place here? Or is this like, you know, sometimes you go to a restaurant and the food is terrible. You get food poisoning. It doesn't mean that we need regulation to fix it. There's some, 
it's just like evolution, right? Like some, some rabbits need to die for the other rabbits to be fast. Like I believe in that, that, that way of looking at the evolution of technology, like anything that's supply and demand driven. However, if there's uh, almost like, like massive holes that people fall into over and over again, I see where regulation is really useful because if there's like cunning and deception that is being deployed over and over again, yeah, regulation can be useful to, uh, to, to counter that. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the only challenge is in financial services land, the, the thing at stake is something of value. It's like material typically. So it's, you know, it might be your kid's education fund. It might be your rainy day fund for emergencies. So I think, you know, either way, there needs to be more focus on assessing the risks and, and building to mitigate risks um, and clarity of consumers of the risks, right? These are assets, yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. they're too risky for your risk profile, right? You you don't have, you can't afford to lose that amount. Yeah. So investing but when it, in when, it, yeah. when a stable coin crashes, I mean, that's that, that to me was like, that was terrible because that's like, it's one thing to advertise as like, hey, this is a high risk investment and you kind of see it and you're like, well, you know, we'll throw us a little coin in there and see what happens. But it's another to say, to your point, this is something I'm classifying in my head yeah. as low risk. Yeah. And so, and you, so that oh, miss... Yeah, big deal. Yeah. But like, well, it's not... Whose fault is that, right? Like, because the, the algorithm is public. Uh, people could read it, but are they, they're not really going to... Maybe it's the, it's the project owner who sort of mis, subtly misbranded it. Like, how, how do you sort of look at the recent... Collapse. I think we all missed a trick in the sense that the only stable coins that should be issued, in my opinion, should be from banks or regulated in some form private companies. So meaning an algorithmic stable coin on its face is not a tenable uh, foundation. At some point, the, the things that must be true for it to retain its peg will not be true. So an algorithmic stablecoin, when you think about all the dollars that people hold, in my view, is not the best form factor to, to create a stablecoin. So it's, it's, it's really, it's asking for trouble. Now, of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty, but I never understood regulatory um, concern about stablecoin because, you know, we have USDF and I worked at Center before on focused on trusted use of stablecoins starting with USDC. Again, I think with transparency on holdings to ensure resiliency in any kind of meltdown scenario, when you want your dollar now, you have X stablecoin and you really want that dollar to be put to use. Like what's the meltdown scenario? How long does it take to, you know, what are the holdings? And so, you know, things that are, stable coins that aren't clear on the holdings that they hold and that aren't particularly liquid or unclear are not good stable coins. Like I actually think it's that simple. So I think we've all yeah. missed the trick by allowing a whole bunch of money coming into stuff that's not tenable. And I think a lot of this crypto winner highlighted untenable models, starting with algorithmic right. stable coin, but other, other, you know, you can't give 20% interest on stuff. Like, I mean, unless, you know, it just like when interest rates were 1% and you can earn 20%, like, okay, well, you know, you're at some point that is not going to work. So just, it's just right, win right, at that right. point. Yeah, totally. Or at least you have to tell me exactly how this is happening. Like there, there, no, it's not happening in any sustainable way. I'm sorry, Mike. I mean, it could be true for a while. So it's just sort of like, then do you want to roll the dice as a, as a participant? And like, 
you, you know, you put in money that you're okay losing at some point, but you'll earn 20% until then. So, I mean, it just sort of has to be that risk model. It just is untenable. 20% interest. Mm-hmm. On. Yeah, that's high enough to where it seems pretty obvious. And I, the the challenge would be if it's if it's like oh it's seven percent or somewhere you're like oh that sounds. But it's all about transparency, right? It's it's I don't think it's a, as much about the number as much as about the transparency to the returns. Because sometimes you could say okay, is this is higher. Though. No, because again, if you're buying junk bonds, like you know, I think you calibrate it based on interest rates in the real world of risky assets, mm. right? And so you know. At 7% for stuff, maybe you get okay, but you have to be ratcheting up your risk curve, which I'm I'm not sure people, because people weren't quite sure what would break it, maybe, or only really, really in the know people that did a lot of research, you know? So yeah, what would yeah. break the, the that return? Whereas in distressed debt, like in the real world, you can think about what would, you know, what things would go wrong that would, that this company can't pay me back. Well, I can visualize that pretty easily, right? The economy tanks, somebody doesn't stop spying whatever they make because blah, you know, so it's a little easier to think about the catalyst for why you would lose your money, maybe in the real world of assets, possibly than some of these models that are in mm-hmm. decentralized land, perhaps. How do you, how do you compare uh, the largest stablecoin today, I think is Tether, uh, which I believe does not have a public uh, ledger or publicly I would disclosed. not be using Tether, no, no offense to Tether, or don't leave yeah. your money there. So I guess that's just my unvarnished opinion. If it's not transparent, the holdings, what it means is when there's a run and there would be a run that they cannot sell those assets sufficiently to get you out into fiat. So I wouldn't be in tether. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And and one thing I, I've I've I actually talked to I talked to the, one of the guys who helped create Tether, but he's now working on something else, so he didn't know the details of it. Uh, but I believe that Tether's organization says that there is a one dollar in the bank for every dollar of Tether issued, which is the USDC model, right? The um, uh, Coinbase mm-hmm. issued this, and they're regulated. Circle, and yeah. you know, you circle, and you can trust that. Okay, the U.S. government has or at least external auditors have validated that. So there's a there's a chain of trust there that in Tether I think you're just trusting the people who run the organization. Is that the is that how you see the difference there, the meaningful difference? Yeah, and I mean, I'm not like cyber stalking Tether every day and seeing what they're reporting, et cetera. What I do know with Circle is they are publishing a report about assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's perhaps more transparency there. So, um, yeah, I think if you don't know what the holdings are in and they're not in ultra cash, then it just means, again, when the, the biggest problem in financial services, when the S really hits the fan, is liquidity. It's when liquidity dries up. Mm-hmm. That really exposes. It's like the tide coming out and you see, you know, folks aren't wearing pants kind of idea. So mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, if it's in certain types of assets that cannot be easily liquidated or quickly liquidated, then it means people can't get their money out. So I see it as a rail and you should get immediately into fiat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, if Tether were to 
collapse, God, that would be, it would be a loss for everybody. That would be, they're, they're just so large that at this point, it would be like trust would be a long know, But as you know, totally. But as again, we develop and we are in like first or second innings in my view of mainstream kind of crypto adoption, meaning digital assets, digital money, blockchain for kind of a range of financial activities, that transparency, resiliency, and reliability will be very important as, as everything gets bigger. It just means, again, you get more and more people are reliant on it. And the more people will be impacted negatively if, if the model is not on solid foundation. So that's all I would say. So tether failing now would be bad, but tether failing when it's twice as big would be worse, if that makes sense. Yeah. And they, but if they, if they were to say, well, let's take it at face value and say, okay, even though it's not audited or regulated, if they just had $1 in the bank and for every dollar they issue on Tether, the thing that would break it would be if they lie and they just turn around and reinvest that somewhere, or if they somehow are uh, hacked in their technical capabilities. But assuming those two things are true, it holds. The, the the thing that you were talking about, the run on the liquidity wouldn't be an issue, right? Yeah, but again, no no uh, stable coin issuer, as far as I'm aware, is keeping actual the $1 in a bank. They are investing it in short-term, oh. you know, money market funds. So like if money market fund broke the dollar, right? So, right. you know, that's one right. of the tenants of money market, if that happened, right? Or if they're holding stuff even beyond, so longer, you know, it's 30-day lockup to, again, have a higher return. Um, to support their activities and everything, then it means that if you, they can't sell it yet, it's locked up for 30 days. So mm-hmm. I don't believe that, you know, Tether's holding $1 liquid, meaning you could take it out today for every, you know, there's 60 billion or however mm-hmm. much is outstanding in Tether. I don't believe that to be true. It's invested in certain things, mm-hmm. ideally liquid things, but some things that might be less liquid. Yeah. Than a dollar a- in the bank account. I was manage that fund because that is so. As, if you're doing that, that's so high risk, which is which is different than what the UST, USDC model would be, which is actually that right where they're. Well, I think yeah, they're saying cash and cash equivalents uh, in general. Again, I'm not stalking uh, yeah, yeah, USDC yeah. either, so you'd probably you'd have to talk to the Circle team. Um, but um, yeah, I think cash and cash equivalents, but that's largely. Yeah liquid things yes what do you think about the the dollar and the the um potential tension that grows from the incentive of the federal reserve to manage control of the economy and effectively the world as we export the currency to other countries so they they have this incredible power and they know it and as cryptocurrency becomes more prevalent and more adopted you know you're doing your thing and everyone's growing and we're creating a better future, the dollar becomes less relevant, particularly for other countries, people holding currency. They still look at it as a stable coin, a, st- a stable currency, a stable way to hold value. Um, Bitcoin goes up and down. So I've, people are less sure about that. But the dollar is, is in people's mm-hmm. mind. Everything is calibrated to the dollar. Do, do you anticipate or can you see a like to, to what degree is this inevitable where there's an actual conflict between the federal government of the United States and people who are using cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency takes away the yeah. financial influence that the Fed has. 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is why stablecoin, um, thoughtful stablecoin legislation is so important in the US because actually, again, I'm a global digital girl. So, you know, lived abroad for a decade, was in the time machine that's Asia for four years. And, um, you know, I wrote an article earlier this year about why the world, for the digital economy to thrive, the world needs a digital dollar. And when I say digital dollar, I mean issued on blockchain. And what I mean is re- reliable and resilient. And, you know, if we think about the power of the next-gen digital economy and, you know, the fact that, for instance, for Nike, 250 million people went to their Nike land, right, on, in the metaverse. And so actually the U.S. could could further expand its influence by having a great uh, stable coin that basically the dollar is the de facto currency in digital land, right? And so actually I see it as a really important thing to get right for the U.S. to continue to exert different types of influence around the world because U.S. is the dominant trade currency today. Um, but digital, you can get into so you know all the creator economies. I mean, really, this and the metaverse. The world is going to be living in less border bordered lands, right? So you know, if you're spending dollars in the metaverse, no matter where you live in the world, that's really important. So um, I think the Fed, and also this gets back to the argument you might hear some of your listeners have heard about CDBC, so central back to digital currency versus a privately issued digital currency. And what that means is, if the Fed issued its own digital dollar. Why would you keep money at Citi or JP Morgan or Bank of America, right? You'd leave money with the Fed. You, so I think if you have privately issued, meaning bank issued or privately, you know, non-bank, but regulated it appropriately, then you can support all the lending activity that banks do. This is very important. This creates levers in the economy, right? You get money to grow your business, money to, you know, send your kids to college. So... Yeah. So in short, I don't think the I think the Fed should be worried about a dollar that's a digital dollar that is resilient and reliable and creating and supporting that coming to fruition from a regulatory perspective personally. Right. And so lots of lots of agencies are arguing over who, you know, who should be regulating stablecoin, et cetera. So it's a complicated (laughs) uh, issue at the moment. But I think the faster it gets resolved thoughtfully, the better off. Again, we will be in supporting this, this new digital economy. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I can't help but see how um, when the U.S. prints money to solve U.S. problems or attempt to solve U.S. problems, especially a lot of it in the trillions like we have recently, it, 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 it can't. I mean, if that is any indication of the future, I can't see how we could transition to like a metaverse world or even even just continue to transition onto crypto with USDC or US any stablecoin being the being the the means of of reserve uh j- because it's like uh, ev- everyone else that's not in the US loses if when the US is printing money and giving it out to its own citizens or organizations um which to me it feels like a hole in the boat like the hole doesn't the boat doesn't sink as soon as you put the hole in but if you don't fix the hole and the hole keeps growing then eventually it goes lower and lower and lower um yeah, well, the Fed obviously, through its printing of money, is is uh, influencing the interest rate, right? The price at which you can borrow money, mm-hmm. and that's very important. Um, obviously, they're raising rates to slow down the economy uh, so that uh, we put a dampen on inflation. But you know, the the printing of the money has always been a toolkit of the U.S. Forget blockchain, right? So I think as long as the Fed controls inflation and makes the U.S. economy kind of recalibrate, so that again people can invest their, you know, the businesses can invest, et cetera, then 
that digital dollar is tracking it's just a digital tracker, right? Of, of the money that people want to hold. And, it, you know, the dollar is the strongest it's been in a while right now, you know, so is people right? still want to hold it. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Why would so, that be? Again, I'm not a worse alternative. I was a comp sci major. What can I say? But, you know, the dollar is strong because, again, everything's always relative. So, where, where, where do you want to hold? some of your wealth and what will trade be denominated in, right? If you're, if you're, you know, if you're a large company sending your goods around the world, et cetera. So uh, yeah, the dollar is, is, I think, pretty strong right now. <laughs> mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it runs counterintuitive to what I would think would be true, but yeah, it is interesting. Uh, what's your, t- I mean, many people have Bitcoin. I like to talk about Bitcoin a little bit because yeah. Bitcoin is uh it's a, uh, everyone has some opinions. Some people have very strong opinions. Some people differ from others. I would imagine that you're predisposed to the general sentiment that there's going to be many different, uh, cryptocurrencies that provide mm-hmm. value. Bitcoin, certainly one of them. Um, yeah. right. And you're, yeah. yeah. So you're generally at that camp uh, of the, of the, of the future value that Bitcoin in particular provides. Do you look at it as gold replacement? Do you, um, how do you sort of see Bitcoin as it relates to all the other cryptocurrencies out there in like yeah. 10 years or so? Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is the OG, right, of this whole thing. And so, and it's, I mean, I think it will retain a lot of enthusiasts. I'm a commercial payments girl. So I help businesses and companies and consumers make payments around the world. So for me, Bitcoin, you will never be paying, you know, all of your, you know, your Starbucks, like all of your daily payments in Bitcoin. So I don't view Bitcoin really as a, successful payments currency that's maybe somewhat controversial for some folks but its infrastructure is too expensive there's way more cheaper alternatives to facilitate payments so it's just it doesn't have the dna of of cost efficiency to be a prevalent way that around the world people are making a majority of their payments um I see it as imminently tradable, right? It's something that has it, its volatility makes it interesting to trade um to buy and sell and it's it's a unique asset, right? It has a big um, followership. And I think, you know, if you argue that it's going to have limited supply, you know, there'll be some kind of scarcity. Is it a gold replacement? I'm not sure. But there'll be if 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 you believe, right, Satoshi's paper, then, you know, we're near the end here of, of finding more Bitcoin. So there'll be more scarcity. Mm-hmm. Um, I look more at currencies to help facilitate ecosystems. So Ethereum for its ecosystem and buying ETH to facilitate activity on chain. So I'm kind of in that camp of will the ecosystem grow, you know, for a utility token ultimately. So I see it, it has its place, just like there won't be one blockchain to rule them all because blockchains are uh, optimized for different um, objectives, for different use cases. We're optimized for financial use cases. We're never going to be a gaming platform or NFT trading platform. So I think Bitcoin will retain its place as an important, you know, prover of a truly decentralized network of way to move value, uh, but really tradable, tradable asset, I would call it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Sounds right to me. Uh, are you? Who are you following, learning from? What what books have you come across that you think are are worth sharing? Oh my God, books! Are you kidding or, me? Or, or people? Yeah, <laughs> I'm. A, you know, I'm. I'm like my brain's a wet noodle on the on the weekends. You know, this is uh, some complex thinking here. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just. 
I'm just, I'm a pointillist. I'm like a George Seurat for any of the artists out there. I'm just always building the bigger picture. So I'm always mm. taking vignettes from everyone. You know, I'm a newbie to Twitter. The, a younger Morgan McKenney took my handle, you know, before I knew it was a thing. Oh, that's funny. And so, but on my Twitter, I, all I get is only crypto stuff. So that's interesting. Like I'm not using crypto to follow the news. I'm only getting, so, you know, I've subscribed to a range of crypto things. I think, um, you know, I'm just trying to step back always and see the bigger picture of how things are evolving and what can we learn from everywhere that's going on, the different chains, what are they successful at, what are they doing well? Um, so not to not to avoid your question, I take inspiration from every conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I always believe you can learn. Um, we're trying to build out you know, an advisory board. I'm just trying to, you know, open source. We're a public chain. How do we take the max yeah. advantage of being a public chain, which in my view, again, is crowdsourcing the future of finance. That's incredibly exciting. We're part of the Cosmos ecosystem. I'm learning more about Cosmos. So uh, there's a ton. And this space is moving so fast. You can't even, even when you're in crypto, you cannot keep up with what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crypto. Yeah, totally. So there's always a lot to learn. There's nobody that knows a ton. I mean, OG is like five years you know, yeah. in the space. So <laughs> how did your, how did you, how did your mind handle computer science as a major? I would think with that uh, personality type, you'd be more I- inclined to go towards like macroeconomics or philosophy or psychology or some, some like broad, um, gestalt base. Yeah. Well, I was a liberal arts major. So they fought at Amherst college. They fought to have comp sci as a major because it was like too practical to, uh, you know, it's not, and so it's very math oriented. And mm-hmm. uh, I decided CompSci after I um, flunked out of Orgo. It was my first uh, difficult scholastic moment that I had ever had in my life. I hit Orgo and just hit the wall. And so I, I switched up uh, gears. Um, very math based. You might not be able to tell, but there's a computer behind the eyes. I've managed to, you know, hide it with some socialization <laughs> skills. But mm-hmm. I run a teleprompter that like tries to translate, you know, this is That's a joke. Funny. Insert yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I do think logically, um, but yeah. I've tried to build out, you know, the, the, the whichever side of the brain is not that the right side, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, yeah, logical and, and analytical, but, uh, yeah. but actually I'm talking a lot about the humans behind the machines because even as a comp sci major, I think, decentralized world can be dehumanizing in some ways and it can be very anonymous and it can be, um, you know, there's so much more scams. Like I've never been spammed by more scams, you know, shillers and like, it's a space that authenticity is very hard to assess. So, um, I'm always trying to think, I say digital done right delights, but the done right is really important. And done right means, you know, that you think digital with the soul, you think about the humans behind the machine, you profile the human ingenuity that's creating this decentralized network and the participants that are, you know, the mind that's, uh, supporting development. So I think there's something as we think about these next gen platforms, uh, people are finding their tribe, which is great, you know, and that's a feature of a lot of these crypto ecosystems. But how do you find your tribe in a way that that is authentic? Um, it's and then is connected to humanity also. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of I'm thinking a lot about that. I've done a lot of work around sustainable business leadership. How do you really build out. And I think we can learn a lot from the the platforms of 1.0, right? All these platforms that there've been negative externalities. And as we think about decentralized as next gen platforms and how do we build them in thoughtful ways and create them in thoughtful ways that, that, you know, think about humans. (laughs) So, Mm. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well said. Well said. Uh, Morgan, this was so fun. Thanks for joining me and congrats on all the progress. I hope you guys continue to grow and prosper and provide awesome things in the world. 
Thanks so much, Mike. I'm yeah, absolutely delighted to chat with you today. Thanks for having me on. It was really fun. Thank you. Sweet. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.